Welcome to another edition of Hockey the Podcast with me, Derek Alberts, and as always, the hostess with the mostess, well, the host with the most, rather. Sorry, Tyron Jabu Bonnard. Uh, Tyron, uh, good evening. How are you doing? Yeah, Derek, good thanks on yourself. Um, it's been um, a, a wonderful lockdown for Hockey the Podcast as we managed to chat to some superb guys and uh, girls in the world of South African hockey and uh, we're looking forward to adding another one to that list tonight. Yeah, and this is all you're doing. It has to be said. Uh, you realized as soon as this lockdown was upon us, man, this is the time to make uh, hey, well, 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 we can because uh, you know, they don't really have anything else to do. And, and this is the perfect opportunity to, to take advantage of that. And that's exactly what we have been doing. So, uh, yeah, every Thursday night we've been recording a hell of a lot of podcasts each and every time and uh, we're sending them out uh, pretty quickly I must add and yeah it's definitely um, the fasting, fastest moving uh, podcast in the Raider Media staple. Yeah and, and look I mean obviously thank uh, you yourself for, for making the time and obviously to to all the hockey stars who have made time for, for us it's been a it's been a really great thing listening in the past couple of weeks to the likes of Peter Wright and John T. Robinson and, and of course, Ian Evans in our most recent episode, uh, just sharing some of the stories and uh, sharing some of the tales. And, of course, it was Ian who uh, put us on to tonight's guest. Yeah, and uh, tell us about tonight's guest. It's a biggie. Yeah, absolutely. This, uh, this gentleman is... Uh, fairly synonymous with the SA hockey men's team. Uh, if you think about him as a player, as a coach, if you Google the team, he's one of the first images that'll come up and it is none other than uh, Ian Evans, very own uh, hockey playing role model, Greg Clark. Welcome, Clarky. Hey, Tyron. Thanks very much. Thanks, Derek. Uh, really cool to be on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me to chat. Does it feel like an honor, Greg? Uh, we've, uh, I must admit that the last couple of guests we've had, they've really spoken so highly of the fact that they're, they're on the podcast. It, it makes us feel pretty proud. Uh, no, it is. I mean, it's, it's always cool to, to still get asked to, uh, to chat and to share some uh, experiences and knowledge and that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's great. Thank you very much. It, it really is cool to chat. Well, the honor is all ours, I promise you. Well, Greg, let's uh, let's dive in. I mean, I was uh, we we my Derek, uh, Derek and myself both uh, managed to watch your your interview with um, Ian Evans on the SA Hockey Legends page, and it was absolutely fantastic. And and hearing how you guys could speak quite openly about the coaches and and the career that you've had, and I suppose let's get right to the uh, to the start, supposedly. Um, and I guess the best place to start is. Where does the lockdown currently find you? Because uh, obviously, if you Google the name Greg Clark, the word Canada comes up quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm uh, currently sitting in Cape Town uh, on the lower slopes of Table Mountain, uh, where I reside. It's my family. Um, yeah, so I've uh, I've been working for Canada for a, for a few years now, but uh, always been based in Cape Town, uh, and I just travel and tour with them. So. Yeah, I've been uh, been really enjoying the, the sort of the beginning of lockdown, late summer weather, and uh, it's turned to autumn now. But it's still still amazing uh, in this country the the weather that we have, and we've been very lucky with the timing of this lockdown uh, that we can be a little bit outdoors still and, and all that type of stuff. So yeah, Cape Town is where I am right now. 
Fantastic. Uh, let's go back to the playing days before we get into the coaching days. Uh, as far as records go, you are South Africa's most capped men's outdoor player. Of course, uh, it is very difficult finding out this information. Um, but uh, yeah, you played a lot of hockey for South Africa. You played in the Olympic Games You you twice. You were probably robbed of it on the third time. Um, you know, what, what stands out for you from that career that you had as a player? Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I was very fortunate. Uh, I played for a long time. Uh, I think it was a, a 11 and a half, close to 12 years. So I racked up a fair amount of caps and, and tours in, in those days. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of guys that are currently playing now. I mean, obviously, you chatted to Rusty the other day. Uh, as a goalkeeper, it's difficult because there's only sort of two, there's only one spot and there are two keepers on tour. And so generally you, you have a sort of a bit of an apprenticeship. A guy like Austin Smith's been around a hell of a long time and, and all things being equal, if, if uh, the program had run consistently or over all the years, Austin had been playing him, he might have overtaken uh, my record by now. So yeah, I was lucky that I played and we had a consistent program um, and I did rack up those those games and yeah, it is just, uh, I think I chatted to Ian on, on his platform the other day and I just, you know, right place at the right time. Uh, I was just sort of starting to get to really good points in my career, just as South African sport and South African hockey was coming out of isolation. So I was a young gun sort of making those first post-isolation uh, squads and, and I got selected for the first team. Uh, and yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was lucky. I was a, I was a forward at the time, like to express myself, uh, and I guess um, they were looking for young guys at that stage who could do that because we had a lot of experienced guys who were coming out of isolation and hadn't had the chance to to participate. Um, and yeah, so I, I went to the 96 Olympics, which was a, a, a massive highlight. But if truth be told, I wasn't a very accomplished international player at the time. Uh, sort of, you know, as the years went on and I got a bit more experience and a bit more exposure and a little bit uh, more worldly wise and mature. Um, yeah, sort of t- turned uh, into a much better player. Um, missed out on the 98 World Cup, missed out on the 2000 Olympics. Um, the World Cup, we didn't qualify. The Olympics was the, the political story. Um, and then sort of hung in, went to a World Cup in 2002 and, and sort of finished my career at the at, uh, at the Athens Olympics uh, in 2004. And it was a lot of highlights and uh, one or two lowlights in between, but uh, just an amazing ride uh, as a player. Very fortunate um, to have played so many games, been on so many tours, been to so many different amazing places and with so many amazing people uh, to share those experiences with. Greg, I know you briefly touched on it, and I know you've got so many highlights. Uh, you've just uh, quickly spoken about all those great memories. But, uh, yeah, we just got to go back to uh, Sydney 2000. I mean, the disappointment of uh, that decision, the, the political interference, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, listen, I mean, it, it depends who you chat to about what the reasoning was at the time. Um yeah, I mean, it's quite a long, involved story. Whether whether there's any truth to it or not, but I know that um, I know that post uh, Atlanta in '96, I know that the, the, the SA hockey president at the time, I think, was a guy called Steve Jaspan, and I think he had lobbied quite hard with Sam Ram Sammy to to get 
one of the hockey teams to go. I, I think the, the men got the, the nod. I can't remember if the ladies had qualified for that games as well. But he really, yeah, sort of uh, had to um, beg and plead for, for this team to go to the, the Atlanta games. And uh, on the basis of that, I think he, he um, lobbied against Ram Sammy in the, in the cycle post uh, Atlanta. And this is the, I mean, I may be way off the mark here, but this is the, the story that I understand. And, and uh, at, the, at the next um, sort of election, to elect a president in or out uh, of Saskok. I think that, that Sam Ramsamy prevailed by a very short uh, margin. Um, but because of all the, the lobbying that Sa- that Steve Jaspan had been doing behind the scenes against Sam Ramsamy, I believe that in, in Sydney, it was a little bit of payback uh, to hockey as a sport. Maybe it was a bit of a person personal thing that came out in a, on a bigger thing. But... If it's not the the, the exact uh, reason, I know that perhaps it was a contributing factor uh, for that. I know there were other political things in terms of uh, the, the sort of racial makeup of the team and and uh, what hockey was doing. I do know that hockey had quite a good track record throughout the years in, in terms of the grassroots stuff and, and, and stuff they were doing. But yeah, that that's that's the sort of picture I, I understand uh, what kind of transpired there. Yeah, Greg, and, and of course, uh, just switching quickly gears from playing to coaching, you then dealt with a pretty similar thing in 2012 where you were the coach of the national team and you qualified for the Olympic Games, but you were forced to go qualify for a second time. Um, fortunately, that probably brought us one of the highlights of many of those players' careers uh, in that Olympic qualifying tournament. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, I think, you know... Um Ian Evans chatted to Bruce Jakes earlier today uh, on 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 that Instagram uh, platform, and and I think I think Jakes touched on it, and he said that you know if, if we hadn't had to, we, we didn't qualify in two thousand and three because we, you know, we we really butchered it right in the back end of the game. We lost to Egypt, and we had to go through a different qualification, the, the the World Qualification Tournament, uh, which was in Madrid in two thousand and four, uh, and and actually he said it made us stronger. Um, because you know we had to really raise the bar and we had to go and, and qualify on a very difficult level, and so in 2012 when we did that, uh, it 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 was uh, disappointing and difficult uh, having sort of had the goalpost shifted so to speak uh, because uh, we had to go to Japan. But ultimately, what it did was you know in terms of our program and the timing of that tournament, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, about May, April, May yeah, of, the, of that year. And, and so with the Olympics, uh, you know, in, in July, August, it kind of puts you in quite a good space. You, you're having to peak in May. Once you qualify and we did qualify for the 2012, then you can go away, sort of put a bit of fine tuning and a bit of polish on and then go to the Olympics a couple of months later. Um, so it, it, whilst it was incredibly difficult and, and like I say, shifted the goalposts and, you, you know, the players really uh, had to come with a different mindset. Uh, like you say, it, it, uh, it gelled the team. Uh, it gave us an opportunity to play uh, in a really tough tournament in, a, in another sort of uncompromising environment. And coming out on top just really galvanized us. Uh, and, and we actually came very close to having an, a very, very good Olympic Games. 
Yeah, and, and well, that, that's naturally where the progression we go to. Obviously, we had beat Japan 2-1, and we go to the Olympic Games. And, of course, we play against the incredible Australians in the opening game, and uh, we keep them down to a, an okay score, but it, it wasn't a great start. And then all of a sudden, everything just seemed to click, and, and somehow we walked away from the Great Britain game with just a draw after, yeah. after dominating it. Pakistan game, after being fantastic, we lost 5-4 with two late, late goals. Um, and, you know, and the story will always be that we, we finished in the 11th place. But just how close for you were we from making it through to that top eight? Yeah, I mean, uh, I probably haven't uh, gone back and watched one or two of those games just because it's just, just <laughs> so hard at the time. Um, you know, we really, we really had done incredibly well as a team, as a group. Um, after quite a disappointing Beijing in 2008, uh, not just in terms of where we finished, but also performances weren't great. It, uh, yeah, it was a it was a difficult Olympic Games um, on on so many different levels. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've actually got a, a pretty poor record against Australia in my time. I probably try and play too much hockey against them, and they and they, mm-hmm. they come out and punish me. But so you know, that Aussie game, I wasn't really. You know, it's quite nice to come up against them in the first game of tournaments because often they're a little coming a little bit cold and they look to peak at the back end of the tournaments. So I thought we could sort of have a dip at them, but uh, it didn't work out. And then, yeah, we'd played we'd played GB three times already. They came to South Africa for a training camp uh, in the January, February of 2012, and uh, we won one, we drew one, and we uh, and we lost one. So we were level pegging with them going into that game uh, in in London. And yeah, we, we really are, I really thought that we could we could beat them uh, any time we went and, and faced them. Really contentious equaliser, the Ashley Jackson goal, which we referred. Um, it was inconclusive, uh, and as a result, the umpires on field decision of the goal stood. But it was just a really dodgy goal, in my opinion. Um, so many, yeah, so many question marks around it, uh, and then. Yeah, Pakistan, I think we led four times and lost that game. Uh, Argentina, we were 2-0 up after six minutes and we lost 6-4. And Spain, I think we went down 2-1 uh, and again, a very competitive game. So, so many small little moments, which, you know, in international sport, in top sport, uh, the, the line is very fine. But uh, we came very close, like I said. Uh, yeah, it, it, it could have been such a successful game for us, bar one or two small moments. Greg, you say that uh, yeah, you don't have a, a very good record against the Aussies. Geez, uh, I think you're in very good company across all sporting codes. Uh, many <laughs> people have uttered those words before. Yeah, listen, I mean, they're a phenomenal team. And, and, and also during that era, um, you know, it's sort of they won the 2010 uh, World Cup. Uh, they won the 2014 World Cup. So, yeah, they were a pretty handy team at that stage. Um, and, and so, yeah, to, to come up against them, uh, in the first game of Olympics is always difficult. Uh, yeah, but uh, again, I, I, I'm not sure I really ex- expressed it too much to the players, but I, I wasn't really looking at uh, anything we got out of that game was a bonus. Gareth Ewing, the, the current men's coach, is a very good friend of the show. And he said, having taken over the role uh, for the first time, um, he was not surprised, but he expected a lot of prep, but I mean, there is a hell of a lot of work that goes involved um, as we expect it to be in any coaching position, particularly when you're coaching a country across any sporting code. Um, yeah, 2012 was uh, where you decided to call it a day. Um, 
had you had enough? Uh, to be honest, um, I, I was actually playing some of the best hockey of my life at the, in those sort of 2003, 2004 tournaments. Uh, uh, I had a... a Personally, I had a little bit of a disappointing uh, Olympics in Athens. Uh, I'd, I'd had some really good tournaments in the build-up, like I say, in the sort of 12, 18 months before. And then I think just uh, I was probably a little bit physically overcooked by the time I got there. And sort of, you know, uh, an elite athlete is a highly finely tuned uh, instrument. And I think that just in all the prep and all the stuff we were doing at the High Performance Center in Pretoria and that, you know, the we had a quite a big squad there, and Revs was coaching us, and uh, he was using me. I, I used to sort of, uh, I probably I was the fittest guy in the team at the time, and I think he was using me um, to try and set the bar for the next generation of players who were in camp with us, because you know you're going to have the likes of Clark and Nickel and Jackson and a couple others, Fulton, retiring after those games, um, and so I think in in me pushing myself and Rebs pushing me as well, probably overcooked it a little bit. Um, so I was a bit disappointed, but maybe had another year or two. You know, I'm, I, I was a fit guy and I probably could have carried on a little bit, but I was getting, you know, in, in my life in general, probably started to need to get a life, get a job, that type of thing. Uh, hockey wasn't paying the bills. So, yeah, I maybe retired a little bit too soon, but in retrospect, I don't really regret too much. And Greg, i um- Obviously, you moved from playing into coaching, and it wasn't a very <clears throat> excuse me there a long gap between uh, the end of your playing career and the start of your national coaching career. Sure, I mean I was an old bullet when I stopped playing, so uh, <laughs> I, was, I was thirty-four. Um, you know, and, I, and, and at that stage, uh, like I say, just with, with with the isolation years and having pretty much been in, well, yeah, I've been involved since. Uh, the day dot off post isolation. Um, you know, I was I was ex- as experienced uh, a hockey person uh, as anyone in this country uh, in terms of my what I what I experienced and what I knew and that type of thing. So I'm not saying that I was necessarily the best coach at the time because I had a lot of uh, you know I had a lot to learn as a coach. I'd player coached quite a lot in the back end of my career. Uh, but being a, a reasonably handy player at the time, international player coming into our domestic competitions, it was easy to dominate as a player. And I say easy to, uh, sorry, I don't mean that uh, arrogantly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and do the coaching role at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, being, being a standalone coach, um, yeah, it is very different, and and coaching at the top level is very different. Uh, like you said, Gareth says there's a there's a lot of admin and a lot of other stuff that goes into the day to day preparation and 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 uh, putting tours together and selecting teams and putting training camps together and and having players based overseas and and all that type of stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it it was it took me a couple of years maybe to cut my teeth in that role. Yeah, a lot of people actually mention the fact that when you become a coach, particularly of a national team, uh, you're surprised by the amount of admin, as you said. And coaching almost takes a back seat to so many other chores and tasks that you have to deal with. And uh, that becomes very tedious and tiresome along the way. Yeah, I think and particularly if you if you are trying to do a good job like any good coach, I guess, with his, salt, his or her salt would, um, 
Yeah, it, it, it's, uh, you know, I'm an extremely competitive person. Uh, I'd, I'd been an international player, so I knew what uh, a good program kind of looked like. Uh, and, uh, and I just wanted to try and create an environment for the players that they could just uh, not deal with all the sort of off-field issues. Uh, I mean, finance is always the, the, the predominant one, but there's, there's a lot of other stuff which, uh, you know, you don't want them spending energy on that. Um, and so in trying to do that and and not having heaps and heaps of uh, other support, like, you know, uh, some other programs and some other sports have uh, sort of high performance directors and this and that and, and, and loads of backroom staff and, and people in sort of national federation offices who do that. Uh, yeah, I think Gareth's uh, experiencing the same thing. If you want it done, you've got to do it yourself. And and if you want to try and put a decent program together, there's uh, you have to be quite entrepreneurial, uh, call in a lot of favors, and um, and think out of the box a lot. And and uh, that's sort of over and above just the the amount of emails you've got to churn out and and um, you know all the sort of real dog work you've got to do. I've got to ask, you said towards the back end of your career, you doubled up as a player coach. What is it like? I've always been fascinated by people that are, are able to do both roles um, adequately. Yeah, so, um, you know, I play coached a couple of club teams um, sort of from, yeah, from, from around about maybe 2000. Uh, yeah, I was pretty much player coaching most of the club teams that I was playing at, uh, mainly down in Durban, um, for the likes of, uh, Technicon Natal, uh, Meritsburg Collegians, um, you know, those types of teams. Uh, I player coached a KwaZulu Natal Raiders team to a national title back in probably 2002. So, yeah, I mean, like an IPT is not too, you know, there's there's not that much to it. There's the, there's obviously the the prep and the team. Uh, there's a there's a panel of selectors that that help me select the team, um, and then the the admin around it. Uh, a lot of the the sort of association does all the sort of booking of hotels. Uh, I don't think there were any flights. I think the tournament was up in Maritzburg that year, uh, and then the guys really know what like what what an RPT is about. It's um it's not too too onerous, uh, and I guess. Uh, playing at the top level at that stage, I was a, I was a, like I say, I was playing some pretty good hockey at the time, so it was easy. I just had to go out and do what I did uh, on the field, and I knew that uh, my work rate and, um, uh, and and sort of all of my my sort of vision and my philosophy about how the way we play the game. A lot of the guys already knew that I played in a lot of teams with them, so I think if that's clear. Um, tactically, I was uh, reasonably astute uh, again at that level, at a provincial level. So it's just a case of uh, getting everyone on the same page uh, and not having, hopefully, not having to deal with any major calamities. To yeah, uh, yeah. Do, do you think it would ever in our lifetimes, or do you think it would be possible to to fill a similar role? And I'm not talking about you. I'm just saying anyone really um, at the highest level could that be done? Yeah, I think, listen, I, I think uh, top sport has, has changed a lot in the last sort of 20 years. Um, and I remember Shane Warne talking about it. But even even now in our national team, I mean, guys like 
you know, I know guys like Austin uh, and Tim Drummond and that type of thing. They've got so much experience and so much knowledge. I mean, the back end of my playing career, Charles was coaching. Um, you know, and I, and I know he used to he used to lean on the guys that were playing overseas and that type of thing. And you know, with players, uh, you know, if you look at cricket, uh, the guys go and play in the IPL and they play here and they play there. They've got so much experience and knowledge that they bring that back into the team environment. You know, Gary Kirsten's a perfect example. He's, you know, he went to India and he said, like, what can I tell teach Sashin Tendulkar about batting? Yeah. It was more just, you're just more there to guide the ship and to provide a structure for the players and an infrastructure. Yes, you have to lead culture and you have to, um, Make sure that that everyone's living the sort of lifestyle and and uh, um, the parameters that that you as a team want to want to live by. But but really, um, in any modern sport, uh, all, almost the players know uh, as well as the coaches are. Well, there's a, there's generally a group of of senior players who are who are doing it week in week out in the top leagues, and 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 they know, they know it as well as you do. Maybe as a coach, you have the benefit of experience and saying, hmm, I've seen this before. I think we need to do it differently or whatever, even, even though they're saying this is the recognized tactic of the day. Yeah, just by the sounds of things, it, it sounds as if you're fairly well read on the subject. Uh, being a coach now, um, do you go out and seek guidance or, or look for, for mentors, so to speak? You mentioned the likes of Gary Kirsten. I mean, have you been... Um, yeah, going that route in terms of looking up or, or looking for new ways in which to expand your knowledge base? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I always uh, used to used to try and do it. I, I still do as much as possible. Um, you know, in a South African context, uh, anytime there's, uh, you know, like Paddy Upton, for example, uh, he's achieved in his own right uh, as a coach and he's very, very well uh, uh, Versed now, and he's he's got some great accolades of his own. Uh, but obviously, when when he went to with with Gary to guide that Indian team, you know, I came back and I I remember sitting at Newlands with him whilst we watched a day of the one of the Test matches, and we just sat and we exchanged a few ideas and and this and that. And, and yeah, I mean, I I love trying to get together with people uh, of, of those sort of uh, caliber, someone uh, who's. Uh, got some great experiences or great knowledge to share and just to be able to pick their brain and, and see, you know, uh, sometimes you come out of that and, and you say, well, I knew eight out of 10 things that I asked that guy, but there, there might be one or two things too that just sort of uh, say, okay, well, I've been thinking, actually been thinking about that myself. That's just confirmed that I need to do more of this and less of that or whatever it might be. So yes, I do constantly try and seek people out, uh, with Canada, I've been very fortunate. They've got some incredible support structures um, in terms of uh, their Olympic committees and their national sports uh, associations and that. Um, lots of online stuff that you can go and just uh, attend a webinar here. And and, um, and also they uh, they do do so a lot of coach development uh, and post the World Cup. Uh, quite an interesting sort of uh, online course, which I did with a... With a a facilitator, uh, and so those types of things are always always valuable. I mean, any good coach worth their salt uh, is constantly trying to learn and embed themselves and, and think of different ways of of a, of approaching a problem. Greg, you bring up Canada, and uh, obviously, <clears throat> not long after the Olympics was formally postponed, the head coach there, Paul Bundy, stepped. Down. 
Yeah. What does that mean for your position? Have you chatted with Hockey Canada? Um, and and what's going? What's happening going forward? Yeah, so uh, Field Hockey Canada, yeah, they've they've um, had a bit of a turbulent couple of years, sort of at administrative level. Um, uh, and I think with Paul, he's he done an incredible job. I mean, I was very lucky when Paul gave me the call back in 2017. Um, and he was, you know, his, his daughter was was born, uh, him and his partner had their first child uh, in uh, late September, beginning of October last year, just before uh, our playoff against Ireland, uh, where we, we ultimately qualified for Tokyo. And... Um, on a daily basis, he is having a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say fights with, with the administration, but he was, he was expending a lot of energy trying to sort of keep this program on uh, going and, and having to sort of uh, just uh, constantly check them and, and that type of thing. And I think he is prepared to put the energy in to go till the, till the end of Tokyo, uh, as it were, in 2020. Once it got pushed out, I, I think he just said, yeah, you know, I was going to step away after those games and spend time with my family another 15 months is, is no good so that's that's his uh, his reasoning and and obviously I fall under his regime in, in that he brought me in now the, the current staff the, you know everyone's still together um, and, and keen to to carry the program forward uh, feel like Canada are currently doing a review of, of the entire men's program I think uh, possibly the women's program as well and just the general domestic hockey so Kind of everyone's in limbo a little bit. Uh, the lockdowns come at a reasonably opportune time for that with Paul's resignation. Uh, so we all wait to see what the review comes back with. They've got a panel, a uh, um, high-performance advisory panel, and they'll be making recommendations post their review. So kind of, uh, yeah, just uh, at the moment, uh, just a little bit of wait and see for me at the moment. But, but the time with the Canadian national team has obviously been quite a fruitful one. And of course, here in South Africa, we haven't enjoyed your time with the Canadian team that much. Because uh, obviously, Commonwealth Games, South Africa did beat Canada, but uh, Canada finished higher up, um, finishing yeah. ahead of us. In the world. But then, of course, there in uh, India, the Hockey World Cup. I mean, how hard is that for you, Greg, to, to be on the other bench? I mean, you've basically been on the South African bench for almost 20 years of international hockey, of either playing or coaching. How hard is it to be on the opposite bench going against South Africa and, and obviously having a, a wonderful one-all draw for, for Canada that puts you guys through to the knockout stages? Yeah, listen, it, it is incredibly difficult. Um, like you say, I mean, for, for you know, pretty much... Uh, uh, half of my life, not quite. Uh, you know, I was involved with the South African men's team at first as a player, and then as a coach. Uh, in between, for a short time, I was an, an assistant coach for one tour and a selector, and blah blah blah. But yeah, so it's a, it's incredibly difficult. Um, you know, coming up against uh, that team, which is you know, I've worn that badge so long, and and it's meant so much to me, and I've and I've put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into that team. Um, you know. It, Again, I guess it it comes down to it's a professional era. Um, you, you're expected to go and put absolutely everything into the preparation to try and plot the downfall of the opposition team. And uh, just because they have a pro tier on their chest uh, shouldn't make any difference. So, yeah, it, it has been very difficult because a lot of those guys that I coached back in the day, you know, the likes of the Aussies and the Timmy D's, Russie, 
uh, it's still playing. So yeah, there's a lot of um, uh, shared experiences that we that we've had, um, and and obviously uh, quite. Quite strangely, you know, I had quite a um, an acrimonious uh, relationship with Canada when I was playing and when I was coaching. <laughs> uh, we, we used to love to hate each other. Um, so I, I was quite surprised when when I got the call from them. But you know, they there's, there's a lot of similarities to to their program to South Africa um, in that it is, you know, a smaller sport considered a smaller sport in their country. Um, you know, we 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 sort of similar ranking we fit into a similar bracket in terms of the rankings and uh you know you, yeah so it's it's a very similar culture and a similar mindset um so from that point of view it, it's quite easy to to sort of fit into that uh into that mold but yeah it, it's incredibly difficult uh coaching against south africa and uh Fortunately or unfortunately, <laughs> depends on which side of the fence you're sitting on. <laughs> uh, I still haven't beaten them yet. Uh, <laughs> is, is, um, Canada. I, I've got to jump in here, Ty. Is it, is it a burden or a blessing being a coach um, of a sport in a country where another sport bearing the same name is a religion to the country? <laughs> no, I mean, so it's not, uh, yeah, we talk about hockey here, they, they can't, if you talk about hockey there, then <laughs> automatically you're talking about ice hockey. Yeah. Uh, you, everything has to be qualified. It's field hockey. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it, it is a bit of a burden. Um, you know, again, when I first went and started coaching the team uh, and I interacted with Canadian people, I spoke about hockey and they were, well, uh, I had to, oh, sorry, I'm going to say field hockey first before everything. But, yeah. <laughs> Greg, and, and uh, obviously uh, your international coaching career has also seen you uh, go over to India and coach the junior India national team. And of course, you also had a, a very good record at the currently defunct, still not sure what its progress is, Hockey India League. Uh, what was that experience like? Because for a while, it felt like hockey finally had a product that uh, could go somewhere before it died away. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly <laughs> sad that, that it has fallen away. Um, I mean, you've seen how popular the IPL cricket has been over the years and what a great product it is. Um, yeah, and, and Hockey India, we're on something, a really good wicket there with the with the Hockey India League. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure the, the reasons. I know part of it was the, the sort of scheduling um, that the FIH had and um, and the president of the the FIH uh, been um, Narinda Batra, who was also uh, the ex Indian uh, hockey president. Yeah, so there was a lot of I don't know the real reason why it it stopped happening, but um, yeah, I think it's I think world hockey's the poorer for it because it was a great uh, vehicle for the top players to go and earn some good cash to keep themselves professional sportsmen. Uh, and not have to have sort of part-time work, or whatever. It um, is a great product, I think, for an international audience. Um, and certainly, uh, from an Indian cricket perspective, the, one of the reasons they developed developed the RPL was because they also wanted to expose uh, a whole bunch of of young up-and-coming cricketers uh, of of Indian. Uh, um, nationality to all these superstars and sort of could pick their brain and play in these great um, competition, this great competition. And that was exactly what, what the reasoning was for the Hockey India League as well. And it was, I mean, I was, I was 
seen that firsthand how these young under 21 guys who I ended up coaching uh, in the junior Indian team were sort of rubbing shoulders with the likes of Mo Furster and Ashley Jackson and Austin Smith and Justin Reed Ross and, and just uh, at the beginning of how much in awe they were and then just sort of you know, really getting to know them and play and being comfortable playing at that level and, and uh, being able to then plug that into a junior national team. So, uh, yeah, India, I think I'm missing a trick on that one. And obviously, you, uh, as far as I remember, you did also get a winner's, uh, winner's medal. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, in, it was in year that won. It was the inaugural competition, 2013. Uh, I mean, I really scored a luck there. There were only five franchises. Uh, there were three Olympic gold medal winning coaches uh, in Rick Charlesworth, Barry Dancer, and Roland Altmans. Uh, and then little old me, and uh, and and uh, an Indian uh, ex-national coach um, Baskaran, and uh, yeah, I mean, I I I kind of was thrown this uh, this gig. I was I was pretty fortunate. We had played India uh, a couple of times in the build-up to the London Olympics. They were looking for opposition in the February of 2012, um, and I think. Uh, I I think I was sort of uh, a little bit of a return of favour. We went and played a five-game series against India. They went on to qualify for that Olympics, and uh, you know the, the they got a look at the South African team. And at that stage, you know, we went on to qualify for the Olympics as as well and do quite well. And I think they sort of saw me and my team and my coaching style and that type of thing. And perhaps having done it in India, um, you know, maybe I did myself a couple of favours. I was asked to coach the the Ranchi Rhinos, uh, and we were just really lucky. Um, kind of everything fell into my lap. I was uh, I was very fortunate to have a great leader in Mo Furster. Uh, I had Austin and Justin Reed Ross, the South African players who knew me well and uh, and could sort of I don't know help maybe um, <laughs> smooth the way with the other international players behind the scenes on my behalf if if ever anything like that needed to happen. Um, but I think the secret of our success for that tournament was uh, all the other, uh, the other, well, the three teams that were coached by two Australians and, and a Dutch guy. Uh, Roland Altman uh, sort of loaded his team with Dutch guys, and the, and the two Australian coaches loaded their teams with, with Australians. And we ended up in the auction getting one German, one Dutchman, one Spaniard, mm-hmm. one New Zealander, one Australian, two South Africans, and an Englishman. Uh, and because there was no one definitive um, sort of, uh, in fact, the, the most um, uh, represented uh, nation was South Africa, in fact, because Dave Staniforth uh, was my video analyst slash goalkeeping coach. Uh, and then there were two South African players. So, so there, there wasn't really any one overpowering sort of um, national setup and, and no one gravitated towards that. And everyone sort of pulled their weight and really got stuck in. Uh, and we had a very harmonious team, so it was it was incredible. We we went and we lifted the trophy, the first ever hockey India League. Never forget that final in Ranchi. People were sitting on the uh, roofs of blocks of flats overlooking the stadium, looking in. It was just an unbelievable atmosphere uh, and a great, uh, yeah, just such an amazing thing to be part of. Yeah, Greg. So, I mean, if I ask you now, I mean, more than 100, I think it's 120 games as a, a national coach for South Africa. You've got a whole bunch for uh, Canada, obviously, as an assistant coach there. 
you've coached uh, provincially, won RPTs, you coached hockey in the league. What is, I'm going to ask you, one playing highlight and one coaching highlight from your career? Well, uh, um, yeah, I mean, they just, uh, I was actually thinking about it uh, when, when, I, when I did that um, <clears throat> chat with Ian Evans a couple of weeks ago. And it was so difficult to to narrow it down on one. I, I, I would imagine um, the the goal I scored against Belgium in two thousand and four uh, at the Olympic qualifier in Madrid, where there were twelve teams. Uh, you know the likes of Spain and uh, Holland and um, India, Pakistan. Uh, yeah. All, and we had to we had to beat Belgium in the final game. It was for the seventh and eighth playoff uh, to to go to the Olympics. And there was sort of you know, about ten seconds left on the clock when I equalised uh, to send the game into a shootout, and we which we won uh, to send us to the to the Athens game. Yeah, I mean it, it was just maybe because it was on the back end of the of my career. Uh, I wasn't uh, an especially you know, out and out goal scorer, but but it was just such a. I still remember it to this day when the ball came. Every single one of the Belgian players was ball watching, uh, and mm-hmm. I sort of when I tra- tried to trap this ball, which came to me quite quite briskly, it just sort of bobbled a little bit, uh, and and everything from my sort of twelve years of international playing and and domestic playing, just to sort of keep my head down, not rush the skill, just make sure that I made a really good contact. And get a shot on target. Um, sort of, it was almost like playing playing it slow mo in the moment. So that's something that really sticks out for me. But I'm sure there's a, there's a number of others. And yeah, I mean, coaching wise, uh, yeah, a lot of also some great moments. That uh, uh, Tyron, you asked me to put some footage together for you of that uh, of that game in in Japan, that final against Japan. It was amazing. Um, and yeah, I mean, qualifying for for an Olympic Games uh, and and doing it in, in such dramatic fashion as well, because you know we were really soaking a lot of pressure at the back end of that game. But when I won that hockey India League, uh, you know, in front of a worldwide audience uh, as a hockey as a South African hockey coach, where we had won a couple of tournaments along the way, and you you win Africa Games that type of thing, but but really achieving uh, on on such a worldwide uh, stage um, and yes I had some incredible players as well but it was just uh, a massive uh, sort of weight seemed to have lifted off my shoulders just in terms of my whole coaching career and I guess my playing career as well that's like finally I'd uh, yeah I'd sort of uh, got uh, a really big fish and managed to to sort of uh, win something pretty significant so so that that maybe sticks out a little bit for me. Greg, you you said that you were very surprised when you got the call from Canada to to join their ranks, but how long did it take for you to make the decision? Was it a a no-brainer or did it uh, take some convincing? Uh, Yeah, it 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 took me uh, very much by surprise. Um, I I went back to India to do a second uh, year of the league in 2014, and I was pretty much fried. Uh, you know, I'd been coaching at the top level for about six, seven years, and I, I actually just needed a break you know, to recharge my battery. And, and I just, you know, as a head coach, you, you're constantly given energy. So I'd taken a bit of time out of the game. I was, I was actually just started coaching domestically again 
I've been coaching UCT for a season or two. I just wanted to keep my hand in it. It wasn't very onerous. Um, uh, it was just nice to keep ticking over. Uh, but at the, in the January 2017, I took on a new role with uh, Sachs High School. Uh, I just bumped into Giles Bonnet in Cape Town and uh, went and did a, a consultancy with one of the provincial teams in China. So I was just starting to feel energy again to, to get more and more involved in coaching again. Uh, yeah, and out of the blue, I got this call from Paul Bundy. And uh, Paul actually went to Jeppe um, High School until he was about 15 years old when his, when his folks immigrated to Canada. Um, and they Canada had come to Cape Town uh, in January 2016 uh, for a training camp in the build-up to Rio. Um, and I, I knew their head coach at the time, Anthony Ferry, is an Aussie guy, and Paul was the assistant coach. Uh, and they were just looking for me to sort of just fill in a few gaps they had in their, uh, in their sort of logistics for that training camp and I helped set them up uh, at Bishops as a training base and this and that. And we had a couple of coffees during their time here because um, uh, neither of them had been to an Olympic Games as a coach before. So they just wanted to pick my brain a bit. And yeah, I became quite fond of them. I got to know their players a bit because they had sort of asked me to watch some of their games and that type of thing. So yeah, I guess that's where Paul came from when he got the interim role. Uh, and yeah, very surprised, but uh, yeah, I would, Glad to do it. Um, they run. They run an incredible program for the amount of players they have playing field hockey in the country. They rank ten in the world. I don't think we can actually get any higher ranked than that now with the pro league bar uh, field hockey Canada coming up with a million dollars to 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 sort of enter the pro league. So yeah, they they really do fight above their weight, and and it's a, it's been a real really interesting uh, program to be involved with. Ah, oh, come. Pretty sure it must have been. And uh, yeah, really, really glad uh, to see that uh, you've gone from strength to strength. Sad to have lost you to, to the Canadians. Uh, hopefully uh, you will find your way back uh, from a professional capacity. Of course, not from a physical one, because as you said, uh, you're speaking right now from your home in Cape Town. Um, Ty, I think it's time that we head into our infamous uh, one-question quiz. I don't know if you've heard the show before, Greg, but simple... Uh, the name says it all. It's one question and see if you can get it right or wrong. So... I want to know from you, who is this person? That Arnold Palmer, the late great Arnold Palmer, gave it in the day to get more of the guys to come over. And one of the greatest of all time, Tiger Woods, came over and he covets his Open titles more than anything else. He loves his US Open. He loves all his majors, as he should. Who do you reckon that is? Uh, well, I was going to go with Lee Trevino at the beginning. Yeah, I heard you shout that out. But then there was a bit of a Scottish twang to the back end of that. I'll play, it, I'll play it once more. How about that? Okay. Here we go. That Arnold Palmer, the late great Arnold Palmer, gave it in the day to get more of the guys to come over. And one of the greatest of all time, Tiger Woods, came over and he covets his Open titles more than anything else. He loves his US Open. He loves all his majors, as he should. Oof. Oof, oof. Uh, uh, I'm going to give Darren Clark. Yeah, 100%. Well done. Yeah, you got uh, him. Darren Clark. There we go. Yeah, one of your namesakes. Another, <laughs> another sporting Clark out there. There's, there's plenty of you around. Okay, wow. <laughs> uh, well, in fact, Darren, so just interestingly, sorry, uh, Darren Clark's got a knee on the end of Clark. Uh, Greg uh, Clark doesn't have a knee on the end of Clark, but for the just about the entire playing career that I played, I played with a knee on the end <laughs> on my back because uh, SA Hockey never seemed to... Um, 
read every time we got asked to fill in our bio data and I used to write my <laughs> Greg with two G's on the end of Greg and no E on the end of Clark. But funny, I always ended up with an E on the back. <laughs> and Greg, that, that actually is oh, my goodness. My, uh, that, that's mind blowing for me because <laughs> I thought your name had an E on it. I no, genuinely I, no, from all the times I've watched hockey over the years, I thought there was an E. It's a common mistake, and, and it happened a lot. And, and sort of, yeah, well, listen, I'm, uh, it's at, at, at first it's, it used to bug me, but I, but I, I got over it uh, a long time, <laughs> long let, time ago. I'm let me actually have a look at this article that I'm reading. Uh, oh, good news! So the article, yeah, the article that I've got here for FieldHockey.ca, Canada, they've, yeah. they've got it spot on. Double G, okay. no E. No, and, and I'm go. just going back to look at my. Uh, articles and I, I spelled it right without the E, but obviously I copied and pasted back then. So <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that, that, that's mind blowing. So did you say, listen, I don't have an E and, and they just ignored it each and every yeah, time. Listen, uh, 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 probably doing them a bit of a disservice, but there were, there were a couple of tours that are, that are definitely had an E on the end of clock and, um, <laughs> and shouldn't have. So, so there was a, uh, an administrative uh, hiccup, Somewhere along the line, whether it was with uh, SA hockey passing on to uh, to Saskatch or to to the national the sporting body, into yeah, who, who knows? That's funny. Uh, uh, just talking about bios, etc., for Olympic Games. Uh, one of the awesome foursome. Uh, I, I forget who it was. Um, it was it James Thompson. He was one of the the rowers. Hey, Ty. Yeah, correct. Um, correct. I, I think this applied to him. So I was watching the race and. It was in obviously London, 2012, and uh, so the the awesome foursome go on and, and win uh, in dramatic fashion. So they get on top of the podium and they're waiting for their medals. And the commentator is just buying time and just going through conversation. And he mentions that James Thompson is a male model uh, by profession when he's not rowing. And and I was fascinated. I, I'm looking at these four guys. No, it's not. They're not uh, ugly. But I wouldn't have gone to say, hey, geez, that guy's a model or any, any of the four. But, but anyway, so I mean, obviously, I've got to know about the world of modeling. And uh, anyway, so I was just interested. And then I mentioned um, a couple of days later, I mentioned it to David O'Sullivan, uh, who at the time was in London covering the event for 702. And he yeah. said, oh, my God, you must actually hear the story. What happened was uh, their coach, uh, Roger Barrow, I think his name is. Yes, um, yeah. He, he was filling it out for them, and he said to the guys, listen, I need to fill this thing out. Uh, whatever. And they go, ah, just write whatever. And he said, okay, fine. So he had a field day making up their professions. <laughs> Lo and behold, it gets onto TV at the moment. They're about to get their gold. There you go. <laughs> but, uh, oh, Greg, it's been fantastic chatting to you. And, um, yeah, best of luck for the remainder of the lockdown. And hopefully, uh, yeah, we, we, we get back on, we back, get back outdoors sooner rather than later that you're able to, to continue your partnership with uh, the Canadian hockey side. Yeah, Derek, thanks very much. It's uh, been awesome chatting. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to getting uh, outside again. And uh, yeah, I, would, I hope, uh, really hope I can get to, to Tokyo as well to also that it uh, you know, be an awesome, awesome event to be part of again. Yeah, and uh, we look forward to you not beating us in Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll probably settle for a good one all draw again uh, so. <laughs> lovely stuff uh, Greg thanks so much man and uh, keep safe for the remainder of the lockdown um, and you know, as always uh, if you keep uh, 
if you keep uh, living your hockey life, we'll keep uh, telling the story as much as we can. Well, thanks, guys, and thanks everything, uh, for everything you do for hockey. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, cheers. Greg. Cheers. Cheers, cheers. Ah, oh, what a legend. Huh? Jeez, I actually always say those words immediately after an interview, but uh, it really does apply. No, absolutely. I think it's, uh, you know, I mean, this is a man who's been to the Olympics four times, twice as a player, twice as a coach, and pending a fifth uh, fifth appearance pretty soon. So, uh, yeah, let's see how it uh, how it plays out. And uh, hopefully he does get to take Canada and hopefully they do lose to South Africa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's certainly hold thumbs. But, uh, yeah, he's got a, another year to wait uh, before that Olympics uh, take shape, uh, hopefully. Um, and as I'm speaking to you now, we are in the midst of a announcement by President Cyril Ramaphosa. And to, what is he saying? It says, uh, looks like some activity will be allowed to resume from the 1st of May, but under specific conditions, health and safety protocols will be in place. So, yeah, it looks like a, a phasing out of the lockdown, so to speak. So that's good news on all fronts, particularly in, in the sporting world. Yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, we would, we can't wait to get... Uh to get people back on the fields and to to start watching our hockey nation and our sporting nation back in action. But at the same time, we also know the importance of safety and uh, that comes first. We are very comfortable with that decision. Um, And as long as that's the way they're going, we will uh, keep supporting it. Yeah, 100%. Time, thanks so much. Uh, Great guest, great co-host. And uh, let's go to another one. What do you say? Yes. We've got a really big name, as we always say on the next one. So it's going to be a cracker. Excellent. Ciao. Cheers.